Welcome to LLP, the Lawyer Life podcast, where the personal, professional, and political intersect. Each week, we cover a topic to help ourselves and other lawyers navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. On today's episode, we chat with Mark Sakamoto. We're asking Mark, how does a focus on possibilities and the value of time drive success and happiness? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Hello, Darlene. Hello. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. We're on location today. We are. This is different for us. Yes. Usually I'm in my attic. Right. With my dog on the couch. <laughs> There's a dog on the couch in this there office. There is a dog on the couch. It is not Rosie. It is Jackson. Jackson, who's undeniably adorable. Very, and maybe very we can talk to Mark about how intentional that is. Uh, at any rate, we're here at the offices of Think Research to talk with our guest, Mark Sakamoto, and we'll get to him in a second. But before that, Darlene, maybe I'll just introduce him. Okay, cool. let's do it. If you really pry, Mark Sakamoto might reveal himself to be a lawyer. But rest assured, he's far more than that. Better described as a renaissance man, Mark has been a political advisor, a live music promoter, entrepreneur, and award-winning author. All that, and he's barely north of 40 years old. Currently acting as executive vice president at Think Research, an innovative health tech company, and chair of Ontario Creates, that's formerly the Ontario Media Development Corporation, Mark is coming off an amazing 2018, in which his first novel, Forgiveness, A Gift from My Grandparents, won CBC Canada Reads. In today's interview, Mark will reveal how he has reached such great heights so early by focusing on possibilities and our only true resource, time. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is, Mark Sakamoto. Hi, guys. Hi, Darlene. Hi, Mike. Good Good morning. morning. Thanks for coming in. We're so glad to be here. Let's get fulfilled. (laughs) I mean, it's that easy. All you need to do is show up in an office with two microphones and fulfillment arrives quickly. I have to say my first thanks to you. I now know what a hatter is. A hatter, yes. And I did not know what a hatter was. (laughs) I'm sad to say that. It is a town with a funny name. The Medicine Hat News. Uh, the local newspaper has always been very kind to me through my career and sort of tracked tracked me through my career after leaving Medicine Hat. And they would always call me um, a former hatter. So former hatter, Mark Sakamoto, mm-hmm. this and that. And then I, I, I won Canada Reads and they kind of readopted me. So now every time I'm in the Medicine Hat News, they call me a longtime hatter. Like right. I never left. So <laughs> right. it's, uh, it's, it's great. Now it's a great, it's a great um, little city to, uh, to come from. It was a great place to grow up. You know, growing up under that prairie sky is uh, something really special. What, what makes Medicine Hat, what's in, still inside of you yeah. that yeah. Medicine Hat gave you? Well, there's that old adage like geography is destiny, right? And I think that that sort of applies at the macro political level and I think that applies at the human level. For me, I think that, you know, growing up in Medicine Hat and in the prairies, there's a real sense of space and time. There was a real, um, there was a real freedom uh, in my childhood. Mm-hmm. Anything seemed possible when I was six. I, I felt like I could kind of go anywhere. And, you know, maybe that's in part because there was not a lot of parental <laughs> controls. But um, they could always see you. Yeah, they could always see you. They're like, I was four and a half hours away, but, you know, I was outside of Regina, but that's okay. They could see me. Yeah. Um, but it really did leave me with a, with a sense of the possible and that, you know, sort of the sky is the limit. Uh, my mom would let me stay up and watch 
the national mm-hmm. Milton Nash every night, like at 10 o'clock at night, uh, I have my toast and peanut butter and milk and, and watch, um, the national. And that was a really, that program, that news broadcast was really, um, you know, a, or probably the window into the world for me, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for me to see or think about the issues in Afghanistan or South Africa or, you know, those sorts of, those sorts of issues. So, you know, the act of her letting me do that really allowed me, I think, to to think at an early age about the rest of the world. And so I was always very interested in political science. So I went to University of Calgary. Um, as a kid, most of the prime ministers that I would watch on the national, many of them went to Dalhousie, so I, mm-hmm. uh, at the law school. And so I always had in the back of my mind um, the the desire to go to, to Dal. And so after um, my undergrad, I, I applied to, you know, as most of your... Uh, uh, your audience would uh, d- did the same. Uh, I applied to a whole bunch of schools and uh, and and ultimately chose to go to to Dell. And that, those three years were just really um, stunning years in in my life and my my wife's life. You know, law school puts you through an intellectual rigor that is uh, an incredibly important. Whether you you know whether you go on to practice law um, full time or not, mm-hmm. it it you know, sort of allows you to um, unpack uh, issues and problems in ways that um, I hadn't done before. So I really, um, I appreciated that. Uh, I mean, it served me well in spades. As we go through my career, I'm sure we'll talk about how a lot of the the people that I met on the first day of law school really impacted my career and my trajectory. Is there a moment when you were at Dow that you thought your dream was to practice at a law firm and do traditional legal work? I was always um I was always so impressed and inspired by those uh, folks, my friends that sat beside me that studied with me, we did cans together who who just absolutely loved lived breathed sweat bled the law, right? Just mm-hmm. loved it. I was not that person. Mm-hmm. Um, I I knew when I was writing the LSAT that I was not going to practice law my whole life. I knew that. Um, now, I obviously really wanted to go to law school. I really wanted to be a lawyer. And on the other end of it, I'm exceptionally glad and proud. And it was one of the best things I could have done for myself is to go to law school. But I wasn't that person that was thinking, um, you know, I'll, I'll article, I'll, I'll become a partner, maybe I'll, you know, maybe, you know, become a judge or anything like that. I, I knew that um, in this one lifetime that we have, uh, I really wanted to sort of jump into the deep end of a couple of uh, mm-hmm. swimming pools. Um, and, and so I always um, looked to the law as, um, as a toolkit. Um, it was it was uh, an educational process that would allow me to really unpack complicated issues that I wanted to be addressing in some capacity in my professional career. And number two, and this is completely, you know, probably unfair and, and kind of even maybe antiquated, but if you have a law degree on your wall, like I do yeah. here, it's, you know, uh, it's, um, there's the power of radio. Um, yeah, yeah. For, the, for those of you not in the room, there's a, there's a frame sitting on the floor. <laughs> um, 
you know, you pass this automatic sniff test. Like, it's silly, but, like, you go into a room and, and you're like, well, I'm a lawyer. And they're like, what? Everyone's sort of like, well, he's a lawyer. I think in, in some ways, lawyers want to claim you as a fellow lawyer, like um, the way that banjo players would claim Steve Martin. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, look at how cool he is, and he does all this other stuff, but he's one of us. He oh, man, you know, Steve um, Martin, there's some rarefied air, I'll tell you. Have you ever seen him play the banjo? I, I Only only it's on incredible. the television. It's I know, incredible. He's, he's a virtuoso. He's, he's a virtuoso, yeah. But he's also else, the man. comedian and actor. And, all, and, and So in that way, and that, that's the transition point. You, you've already talked about it. You wanted to do a bunch of other things. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, coming off of how successful your your book has been, let's let's start there. How, sure. How much of a leap was that to go never have written yeah. a book before? How did you have I guess have the guts to do it and and, and go for it? Yeah, what a story that is. I mean, holy, shit, that's jumping into the deep end. Can I swear? Can I say shit on this? Yeah, uh, yeah. Pro- yeah. Be you. Okay. This is okay. about authenticity. Me being me. Well, I'm gonna. I, I need to. Whether or not it's I drop me, a lot of f bombs yeah. in me being me actually. So I'm gonna. We'll cover with, it. I'll, Don't worry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, okay, so um, I was always that precocious kid that, you know, because I really loved uh, politics and history as a kid, I was that kid that, you know, that grandchild that would ask questions mm. to both my, my uh, Mitsue, my grandmother, my Japanese grandmother, and, and Hideo, my grandfather, and, and Ralph McLean, my, my uh, maternal grandfather. Um, so I knew that, I knew the the guts of their, I knew the bones of their story, I, but I knew their story like a history book. I knew, you know, timelines and I knew military advancements, but I didn't know that I, did, I never empathized with their story. I never really internalized it. I didn't know their pain because they didn't share their pain either. They didn't want to sort of bequeath that onto their, gen, onto the generations uh, going forward. And so I, you know, sort of grew up having a, a, a good sense of my family's history. Um, but, you know, to go back to, uh, you know, how law school friends sort of miraculously changed the trajectory of my life, I was in, I was working uh, at Think Research, and I was, of all places, I was in Kuwait City you know, doing business development in, in, in Kuwait City. So the day before, the Japanese government sort of finally got around to apologizing to Japanese Canadians. Um, this was in 2010, late wow. 2010, 11. And um, Aaron O'Toole, who was one of the first guys I met in law school, a great friend of mine, he was, um, uh, he's, a, he's a conservative uh, member of parliament. He was the Veterans Affairs Minister. Um, he wrote John Stackhouse, who at the time was running um, the Globe and Mail. And he said, John, our mutual friend Mark has this pretty crazy family story that sort of is in line with this apology. You should let him write an essay. And so John, like that, and that email was completely unbeknownst to me. Like I had no idea that email was sent. Oh my gosh, he, no pressure. Aaron sa- or John replied to Aaron, but CC'd me and said, well, if Sakamoto can write, I'll publish it. So on the flight back from, at that point, I'm, I sort of, was in Kuwait and then Saudi Arabia. So I flew from, I think it was Jeddah to, to, to um, Toronto, and that's like an 18-hour flight. So I had some time on my hands. So I banged out that essay, and, um, and John did me the greatest of favors. He published it on Boxing Day, which is like the best day to be published because everyone's at home and the Globe and Mail sitting on their table. And, um, and so HarperCollins uh, 
called uh, Michael Levine, who's a, who's a, a, one of Canada's great lawyers and, and uh, best literary agents in the in the country, and said, "Do you know Mark Sakamoto?" And and we knew each other extremely well, and so he brought me into Harper Collins, um, you know, sort of a few days later, and I thought I'd be meeting like a junior editor mm. and the doors opened up and there were 15 executives uh, around the boardroom table and Levine was like <laughs> kicking me under the table like do not F this up yeah. because we've got a book deal right yeah. here like yeah. if happening. the next hour goes well you have a book deal and so you know I, I remember walking up to my uh, up the steps of my house and uh, Jade my wife who had we had um, a little girl and she was pregnant and you know I've, I'd been in you know Saudi Arabia and Europe and traveling a lot and I was like darling I think I think I just got a book deal <laughs> and she was like her face was like a just, children's what book are you man. talking about <laughs> yeah. and so so yeah I, I, I did just um, cannonball into that and uh, yeah, that was. I love quite all a your thing. pool analogies, right? Like you said that you like to seek out deep ends to yeah, dive into, yeah. and then you cannonball into this. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, you've, just, you've got a, a bit of a. Um, I don't think it's luck. I think it goes back to this thing about you think things are possible. We talk a lot, Mike and I, on this podcast about that. When you believe it, you don't yeah. really know you can't, you know, you don't, you didn't do the work to know that you shouldn't be able to get a book deal in your first meeting. So why not? Why not? You know, all of the stars align. I think that, um, you, you know, I mean, I think that it, it's um, hubris not to um, recognize and appreciate the ball bouncing in fortuitous ways. Right. And so I think a, a part of, any a part of any life is that just like you know you happen to be open and get the ball yeah. um, sometimes you know sometimes somebody just missed the ball and you caught it right um, so, so so there's that and then there is absolutely there's the execution of it there's the um, I think I can do this and and I I think that with that um, in any sort of uh, really meaningful way there's also the flip side of not being afraid to fail. Right. Um, lawyers in particular, lawyers, Canadians generally, we think like as entrepreneurs, as lawyers, as, as, as you know, um, any walk of life, we're so damn scared of failing. And it's like, that's not bad. You know, like it's a, like sometimes it's a very good thing to fall flat on your face. And in fact, everyone's going to do it. So why be scared of it? Like, you know what's going to happen. You're going to stub your toe sometime. You don't walk around like, oh, shit, there's a table, there's a couch, I might stub my toe. Like, you're going to stub your I toe. I should just not walk. I should anyway. just not walk. Right? But that's what this happens. This couch is fine. That's yeah. what happens so often. And so I, I try to, when I when I sort of catch this ball or whatever, I believe I, I can put it in the basket or, 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 or in the back of the net. Um, I think about how I'm going to do it knowing that that path is going to change mm -hmm. um, for sure. Like, you know, a, a great boxing analogy is, you know, even the best plan, you know, all falls apart when you get punched in the face, right? Like mm -hmm. <laughs> you can plan all you want, but as soon as Mike Tyson punches you in the nose, like all bets are off, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, um, and yeah, and, and not being afraid to just absolutely uh, fail and get back up. And that's where it's interesting, you know, when you're sort of, um, you think you've got something really cool cooking and something's not quite right and you know or, or sometimes it just completely falls apart to pick yourself back up 
and to, to put it back together or keep working on it. That's really where the, um, that's the most exciting part of it in, in so many respects um, in business or, or in, in writing or in any of the endeavors that I've, that I've done. Well, when you talk about fear, and I think a lot of lawyers are sitting there thinking, here I am at my big firm job or my firm yeah. job, or I'm doing something that doesn't quite feel like a fit, but I have this creative energy. One thing yeah. that I believe is that a lot of lawyers end up in law because they were really successful in arts, right? right? So a lot totally. of arts degree, it's a real funnel to law school, yep. doesn't necessarily mean yeah. that you are... Um, suited for the the sort of analytical right. law world where you've got your laws and you follow them and you write a memo about them, um, and so I think sitting in those offices right now, yeah, trying. How did you get to that point where you're not afraid of those mm. things? Well, I think that you know that a little bit goes back to um, you know just being lucky. Like who you're born to is is just pure dumbass luck Mm -hmm. Um, in in my world I mean maybe other folks have sort of spiritual or you choose your parents or whatever the case may be I I don't really have that so I think in in part where did I get that uh, lack of fear or confidence I think it's more confidence than anything else because I don't really want to fail but I have confidence that if I do fail I can figure it out Mm -hmm. so you know my dad and my mom just sort of uh, were a big part of that. And then the, the next part is you, you sort of, you are what you, you know, you know that saying, like you are what you eat. You know, you, you are who you sort of spend your time with. And that, the people that you're with affect you so very much. And so you really have to guard, uh, I think, um, uh, that part. So, so having people around you that if you... Uh, fail or feel like you're getting a little wobbly either professionally or personally that's really important like I think in my life I've made sort of two big decisions I've chosen my life partner my wife Jade and I've chosen my business partner Sachin Agarwal whose office is right there he was a lawyer at Tories and we have been in seven different foxholes together in our professional career buying real estate going into working in together in politics running this shop you know and they'll be like four or five, 10, 15 other foxholes that we'll probably find ourselves in. So that's the second thing. And then the third big bucket is just time. Um, for the lawyer that's sitting, you know, at any of the sister firms or, or any shop, like, oh, I, I don't want to write this next memo. I'd rather be doing something else. I think that, but for me, time is the only thing you can't buy more of. It's your mo- it's your like it's not your m- most precious resource. It's your only f-ing resource. Like that's all you have. Yeah. You can buy anything else, whether that's a service, whether like anything else, you can get more of. That when you're out of time, you're legitimately out of time. <laughs> and and so so my biggest fear, my kind of my only fear, I think, in some ways, is lying on my deathbed, which I think of on a daily basis, not to be grim, but I really try and put myself there. Um, because I don't want to think, man, I did not, I left, I left stuff out on the field. Like when I go, I want to just be like, oh, <laughs> what a run. I got to go to sleep. I, I, I got to get out of here. Yeah, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm, good, I'm good with this. Yeah. I'm good with this. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so, so then you, from that perspective, every day you have to sort of, I think, like, 
squeeze out time and just make sure you're present with all of it and make sure what you're spending it on gets you to that final point, gets you that final destination of, oh boy, on my way out, that, that was a good run. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you're sitting on the couch or if you're writing a stupid memo about, you know, some damn traffic violation and you don't want to be doing that, then, then I think you should think hard about what you're doing with your time. I read a quote and it said, the problem is you think you have time. And I, it was so fundamental to me because I, was, I realized that like our whole society is structured that you do your work and then you're going to have this time. You know, at mm-hmm. the end of your life, you're mm-hmm. going to have this time where you're going to, you know, retire and, you know, relax and do all the things you wish that you were going to do. And I've always had the perspective that I'm going to have a mini retirement always, <laughs> totally right. you know, as I'm going through because I don't know that I have time, you know, totally so I right. think that's very wise. So, yeah, I, I think, I, I mean, number one, I, I think retirement as a concept is going to dramatically change. I mean, it already is dramatically changing, but I think that. Like, I don't want to retire. I never really want to retire, I don't think. Um, but to your point, ex- I think that's exactly right. I What I want to do is just be happy, like very content and excited about every single part of what I'm doing. Right. Whether that's pushing my daughter, Tommy, on the swing, um, you know, or traveling with them, taking good chunks of time out of the professional uh, career um, to... to to, to do that or you know be doing work at my desk and what I'm doing I want to be really engaged in and, and excited about so I think that's right I mean finding work-life balance to me is such like I, I, I don't even I can't it's difficult for me to relate to that I just like want to have a balanced life mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all of the the professional things that I'm doing is sort of a, I, I sort of think of it like a body of work mm-hmm. uh, almost like an art like a painter does or a director would you know we've seen you know we've read the articles about your commute going from Ottawa to Toronto when you yeah. were doing that and your decision to to stop doing that you, you didn't want to be a commuting debt so we see that you have made calls throughout your life about time and to uh, prioritization what are what are the ways that you prioritize and guard and, and mm-hmm. build time in a Thanks, day Mark. yeah that's a good I remember that um so, you know, just like most uh, most parents, you don't really know what's about to happen to your heart until it actually happens and people can talk to you about it, but you, you just can't really internalize it. And, and so I sort of thought, well, you know, the, the, my, my, my time in politics, um, I, I started working with uh, Michael Ignatieff, you know, Sachin and uh, a few other folks when he was still teaching at Harvard. And I really came to really um, respect and, and, and really have great affection for him and his wife Susanna and and um, we would travel the country together in, in the early days and so for me uh, once he won the leadership I, I, I went up for what uh, I said to him at the when he won the day he won I said well I'll, I'll come up for six months and that those things always mm-hmm. you know sort of it was 18 months in and and uh, Jade had uh, we had our baby and I thought, well, you know, maybe I'll commute like three days a week and not instead of like the five. And because and, um, my wife wisely really dislikes politics. And so she <laughs> stayed in Toronto and I would commute back and forth. I basically lived at the Porter Airport. I think it was three weeks after, um, after Mia was born, our eldest daughter, uh, I went back. I, I went to Ottawa and... Uh, stayed one night in the condo uh, that I had and I I woke up in the morning and I was just like what the hell are you doing like your your family's hundreds of miles away and you 
you know, and your daughter's three mm-hmm. weeks old. Like this is, this is no way to start her life out. And um, and so I, you know, I basically left um, left that that very afternoon. And 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 so what that illustrates is, you know, proof is kind of proof's in the pudding. You know, like so often they'll folks will say, well, you know. My, my, my most important role is this, but then the proof doesn't sort of span that out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I do look back on that decision as something that I'm, I'm proud of, I think, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just sort of like a, it was just sort of a no-brainer to me. I just needed to, I needed to be close by. She's, um, those, those children, I mean, especially think about time and kids grow up so fast today. Like, they're only... Um, they need you for a short period of time and then they you know that you're like the bow and they're the arrow and, and <laughs> you need to make sure as you're pulling that bow back that uh, that's good that it's a really strong bow yeah and because you want them to shoot far and so um you can't dial that in there are a couple of key moments in your book where at one point you're going through a really hard time in your life mm-hmm. and your wife says to you you know, remember what you're made of, mm-hmm. and I love the inscription. It's mm-hmm. very tied. It's very tied to what you're saying because in your in the inscription, the book is dedicated to your two daughters, mm-hmm. and it says, "So you know what you're made of." Mm-hmm. And to me, for lawyers, you know, this is part of your story. Like your kids are going to know when they are old that you made that decision. It's public, mm-hmm. um, but there are all kinds of private ways that a lawyer or someone who works too hard in their career. We we happen to focus on lawyers, but this mm-hmm. is general. Of course, life yeah, of course. Um, you know, they know that you made those choices. They know that you took a trade-off. They know that you could have done this big thing and you chose them. And as you say, we talk about how the days are long, the years are short with mm-hmm, kids. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. really is such a short time, maybe 12 years till they don't really want to hang out with mm-hmm. you on the weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. 12 years. Yeah, I, I mean, I've been out of law school longer than that <laughs> much longer than that but you went when you were 10 so yeah, that's great totally. Phenom, she's a doogie house <laughs> um, but yeah so I think just the I think the more we can highlight those examples and sort of get the message out that it's the only it's not the only way to provide for your kids to make a lot of money and have a traditional secure career right yeah um, providing for them and knowing that they they uh, that you prioritize them yeah that's a, a whole other thing where the rubber really hits the road or what really matters isn't necessarily time away, but when you're with them, Mm -hmm. you're actually with them. (laughs) You are present. Mm -hmm. Like this thing just keeps on buzzing, but that's fine. Like it, so let it buzz, right? Because that is just like, that's right now I'm with you or I'm with right now I'm with you too. And this is like, this is really the, 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 the thing that I'm, I've, I've committed to it. Mm-hmm. It's it's important. So this is all we have, mm-hmm. and that's sort of like um, maybe a little Buddhist. Like I do have sort of big lines of my family that um, I'm certainly influenced by by Buddhist thought. But the big thing about Buddhism that I love is just like you don't have anything except for right now. Like mm. this is all you have. Doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account, what happened on the way here, all of that stuff. Like. This is all you have, and and putting yourself in that um, in that frame of mind, um, I think, is exceptionally powerful. Um, 
And, so, and kids pick up on that even more than adults. We're used to sort of distraction. We're used to, mm-hmm. you know, Mike, if you grabbed your phone right now and started texting, I wouldn't think anything of it, maybe. Well, you this know? conversation is so boring. Just so hard to not do it. kids pick up on it, you know, and, and, and they know if you're distracted and yeah. not paying full attention. And so, so I, I just sort of try and be all in all the time. <laughs> So that is, uh, seems to be a clear driver of like w- where your intentionality is every day. Are there other pieces of advice or other things that you've read mm. that you, you know, would put up on a wall or, or remind yourself every day? Like, Say no a lot. Hmm. If you're going to be, pre- if you're actually going to be present mm-hmm. in everything you do, then say no to every single thing that you don't mm-hmm. think you're going to be 100% present in. Don't mail it in. Just say no, and you're better off. So much stuff. Like people think, people think, oh, I'm. Look at my calendar. I'm so busy. Or I just build all this stuff. Or I have all these non-billable hours. And it's like, people, people for some reason, seem to equate busyness with import, mm-hmm. busyness with productivity. That's completely bat crazy. I think. Like I like those days where I'm like. Oh, here's a big chunk of time where I don't have anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And those are your most productive, those are your most productive periods. I just, you know, I love having those days where I can just pop into Sachin's office and sit on his couch mm-hmm. and just be like, what about this? What about that? I read this in The Economist. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And that's where some of our, like, we've generated like good amounts of value and being able to hire a ton of people based on those days where it's like, no, I'm not running from this to this to this to this to this to this to this. So, so I know, you know, if you're an articling student, you're not, you know, you're not saying no to anything. I get that or anything professional, you know, um, but, but as you, as you um, are able to do so, say no to uh, professionally and personally, say no to anything you don't want to, be 150 percent into mm-hmm. good advice and the more you sort of do it with time the the more you do it in your in your sort of um material life mm-hmm. and 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 the two sort of self-sustain like it's difficult it's difficult if you're you know if you're spiraling down it's actually really difficult to stop spiraling down and if you're spiraling up it's really difficult sort of not to, like mm-hmm. there's just a momentum there of course <laughs> and to be successful you've given us so much wisdom so thank you oh thank, thank you, you very much that. we are going to take a break and then come back with our goods and gripes will you stay with us perfect The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Inter Alia Law, experienced legal counsel when and where you need us. To learn more about Inter Alia, visit the website at spelled I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. Thank you. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to support. Gripes are things that annoy us. Mark, send it over to you. You know, for me in my life, the the, the good that um, I've spent the last uh, few days thinking about and, and really wanting to extend and expand in my life is uh, my yoga practice. So, um, and meditation. That's Those are two things that um, are sort of my own personal gift to myself. 
um, and they really helped me in a whole bunch of ways professionally and personally and emotionally and intellectually. So um, that's something that is very good in my life that I want to um, have more of. The gripe, I'm going to gripe against just the gripe, I think. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sick and tired of hearing gripes. I mean, and, and I, I say that um, particularly in Canada. Um, I, I've had the fortune of really traveling around the world and, and I've seen a lot of it. And holy smokes, I mean, we live um, as close to heaven yeah. as... Um, you know, this is not a perfect union. This is not a perfect country. And we are letting people down all over the place, particularly our indigenous brothers and sisters. But, um, you know, in terms of safety and what, like, it just, mm-hmm. the list goes on and on and on. We are as close to heaven on earth as, um, as one can uh, hope for. And, and many do. So many do hope for. Um, and so, so um, I'm I'm griping against the gripe. <laughs> Stop with the gripes. Stop with the gripes. You're living yeah. the best place yeah. in the best just time. Smile, ever. man. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. Great. I think that's great. I think we could leave it on that. Okay. Cool. Let's do it. Thanks, okay. Guys. Thanks yeah, again. Right on. Thanks, Thanks a lot. lot. That was fun. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.